All right, good morning. Man, it's awesome to be with you guys. Worship the Lord together. Last time I was here, I think it was uh, maybe almost three years ago. Um, after I, I finished, I was talking to a guy, and he came up and very gently and very graciously was like, Jim, have you ever considered like a public speaking class? <laughs> well, now I am. Yeah. Three years ago. Man, Will have been, uh, it's been so awesome for me. I, I know you guys have uh, kind of been on this journey with us. For those of you that don't know, uh, my wife Rachel and I are missionaries in Indonesia, uh, partnering with Willow Bend to take the gospel to an unreached people group. Um, we'll kind of get into that here in a little bit, uh, what we're doing. Um, I want to start off just telling a story. About a year and a half ago, uh, we were in Papua. Um, you see a map here. Uh, so we have Australia, and then Indonesia kind of stretches from the west to the east. It's a string of almost 17,000 islands. Um, the far east of the country uh, is the province of Papua, which makes up this big island directly north of Australia. Um, it's always confusing to people because the island is called New Guinea. We're in the province of Indonesia called Papua, and, and so Papua makes up the western portion of that island. The eastern half is the country called Papua New Guinea. All right, so Papua New Guinea in the east, and we're in Papua, Indonesia in the west, on New Guinea Island. Okay, it's um, universally confusing, and, and I understand that. Um, so we've been in Indonesia for almost three years now. We first arrived in the island of Java, which is where the capital is, uh, to do language study and to uh, really start off our language study in a place where we could learn the proper Indonesian dialect, uh, learn a more proper form, and then um, after about a year, our third son, Max, was born there in Java. We moved our family out to Papua. Um, and our first uh, kind of stage of being in Papua was to finish studying Indonesian, to learn the local dialect. It's a lower register of Indonesian, and to move on from there. So I found myself one day walking through town. Uh, we were in the capital area of the province, uh, I'm walking through because I'm, I'm walking because the throttle cable on my motorcycle had broken. Uh, and so, if you know what a throttle cable is, you know that I'm not going anywhere uh, without that. And in Indonesia and Papua, especially motorcycles, mopeds are the primary mode of trans- transportation. So it's the same for us. Uh, so I'm walking through town and I'm going basically shop to shop, looking for motorcycle shops that might have this cable. And I, I had a particularly uh, I mean, I say old is like a 90, 92, 93 model uh, Honda motorcycle, 125cc. Um, not super common then, and so uh, I had to do a little bit of looking to find the right uh, cable. And finally, I found a shop that had it. It was probably the fourth or fifth shop that I went into, and I go in. Um, I would say at the time, my Indonesian was uh, okay, but not stellar, right? Still very much in study mode, still learning. Um, I was pretty proud of myself that I'd gotten this far, right, that I'd found the right thing. I negotiate the price with the guy. Um, you know, we, we figure it out. And I say, okay, I'm going to buy this. And I reach back to grab my wallet, and, oh, um, I don't have my wallet on me. And it, it wasn't missing. I, I knew exactly where on the dresser I had left it. Um, and so now I have to tell the guy, oh, uh, 
Papa minta maaf, tapi domba saya tertinggal di rumah. And I'm, I'm sorry, but it appears I've left my wallet at the house. Right? And so the guy kind of smiles at me. No worries. I'm paraphrasing him. Uh, <laughs> no worries. Yeah. You can, I'll save it. I'll save this for you. You can go get it. You know, come back. I do that. I go home. I get my wallet. Uh, I go on with my life, right? Now I can ride instead of walk. Um, the next day, I'm talking to a friend of mine, another uh, friend, and he's telling me about uh, what he had been reading uh, in his Bible in Indonesian, um, about how Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And all of a sudden, I thought, oh, man. Yesterday, I told that guy, I didn't realize it until just now, but yesterday, I told that guy in the shop, uh, my apologies, sir, but it appears I have left my sheep at home. I can't pay you because I've left my sheep at home. Yeah. Now, you guys that have studied language all have stories like that, right? This is a very common thing. Uh, those two words weren't even all that close. Don't buy his sheep and don't pet his wallet. You know, there are a lot worse. I mean, there are words that are much closer together. Bawa, bahwa, and bawa are three different words in Indonesian. But still, uh, you know, here I am. Kind of, it's funny, a little embarrassed maybe. Maybe I'm not going to go back to that shop uh, immediately. Um, you guys can identify with that. Um, but I'll just tell you, in that particular moment, uh, probably because I'm feeling a little bit of stress, because I'm dealing with, uh, looking ahead and trying to make plans for the future. In that moment, it, it actually kind of got a little dark for me. Because I'm, I'm beginning to think, when am I going to get this language? Like, how, how am I still making mistakes? I've been in the country for, at this point, a year plus, a year and a half maybe. Like, when am I going to get it? When am I going to be able to move on? You know, Indonesian is, is not just the hobby that we've taken up to study. Right, we're here because we need Indonesian, the, the language, as a tool so that we can move on to what's next. You know, our goal to come, coming to Indonesia in the first place is to um, see a church, a mature church established among an unreached people group, a people group who do not have any concept of grace, who don't have a mature church that can uh, guide them in true worship of our Lord. And, and I'm thinking... Man, if I can't get Indonesian, how am I expecting to move on to learn a third language? We have to use Indonesian to be able to communicate with uh, the, the people groups so that we can learn their native language, their uh, mother language. And if I can't do that, how am I expecting to you know, go forward? How, how am I expecting to ever uh, teach God's word, which is not a light task, in a third language if I'm struggling with language, right? Um, how am I going to translate God's word. You know, th- this, is, this is kind of the, the place where I'm going, just realizing, man, I'm not there yet. When am I going to get there? And now some of you guys maybe are, are kind of realizing that there's the question beneath the question also, right? Because the question beneath doesn't really have anything to do with language per se or my ability. It, it's a question of faith. Like, is my faith so small that here I am, making a simple kind of word mistake, and now I'm thinking, oh, woe is me. How, how are this people group 
you know, which at this point we weren't sure where we were going to be exactly, but how will this group ever get a church in their language if I can't do lang- if I can't learn Indonesian, right? Like, as if God is going to be like, oh, you know what? We had intended to have some Christians from that people group, but Jim couldn't get the language, right? So that's, that's kind of the, the question underneath. Is my faith so small that I think it's, this is all about me? This is all dependent on me and my ability to be able to move forward and, and to get this done? And that's kind of a darker place even, you know, like especially as a, as a missionary to Indonesia. And I'm thinking, like, is my faith so small? I don't know what your, your concept of mission, uh, missionaries is. Uh, a lot of times I hear people say, man, I just couldn't do what you guys are doing. Your faith must just be so great. You know? And I'm walking down the street in Papua thinking, man, that's a hard newsletter to write. You, know, you have made a terrible mistake. Right, so, so that's, that's where we've been. That's the backdrop. You know, there as as we're going through, you know, the the day to day studying Indonesian, you know, proceeding. Um, our text this morning is going to be Mark chapter six. Uh, we're going to look at a, the story of Jesus feeding the five thousand. Uh, this is a common story, I'm sure. If if like me, you grew up in a Christian home or grew up in the church, uh, it's a very familiar story. Every children's Bible that's ever been written has Jesus feeding the five thousand. And this is also a text that I uh, was reading as I was kind of in the midst of uh, that particular ordeal, as I was wrestling with this idea of faith. That's a text that I think the Lord uh, very graciously brought uh, before me to be able to read and to study. Um, Let's go ahead and and start off reading it. Uh, It should be on the screen. This is the ESV version. So Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, A blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. a few observations that I want to make about this text, um, and we're going to talk about how I've been applying this in my own life, but the, the first thing I want to just point out is, could Mark not have just given us a little more detail? You know? I mean, we have like 14 verses here, 
verses 30 through 44 about this miracle that Jesus does. And we, it gets down to the, the point where he's going to do the miracle. And it just says, uh, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves. And then we passed him out. Oh, yeah, and there were 5,000 people. I think the, the point and, and the thing that I would want to uh, stress this morning is that while Jesus performed a miracle here, the real emphasis of this text is really about Jesus' interaction with his disciples. Okay, we have this long segment to set up what's going on here. We have Jesus talking to the disciples, and we have uh, basically two, I think, key observations to make. Uh, the first part is that the disciples in this story are making very common sense observations. They're doing things that would be considered wise, uh, you know, by us. Like, I, I don't think we can say, oh, they did something wrong here, right? In the first place, they're looking and seeing, okay, these people have followed us out into this desolate place. We're far away from the villages. Uh, it's already late in the day. And the longer we go, the longer Jesus teaches them, the harder it will be for them later once they're realizing, you know what, we've got to get back into town. We've got to get food. We have to do whatever. It's already going to be dark. It's going to be difficult. And the disciples are saying, you know what, we should send them home. Jesus, you should send them home so that they can uh, take care of their physical needs and, and do that. This is totally common sense, right? This is wise by any standard. That's the first observation. Now, the second observation is that Jesus could have agreed to that, and it would have seemed like a normal thing. You're right. Let's send them home. But Jesus knows what's ahead. Okay, Jesus knows more than we know. He knows more than the disciples knew in this moment. Jesus knows the challenges and the hardships that those disciples are going to face. And Jesus knows that for his disciples, he doesn't need mere administrators or people that can think strategically, people that can come up with good plans. He needs people who know who they're traveling with, right? They don't, the disciples don't know that at this point, right? When they started off, you know, on the boats and Jesus called them and said, hey, follow me, they didn't know who Jesus was exactly. It's a journey that they were on to discover that and to find out, to go deeper, to experience. I mean, they're, they're listening to his teaching and they're astonished, right? They're watching him heal people and do miracles, uh, you know, do all of these things. They're, they're going deeper. They're, they're getting to the point where they know, but they don't fully realize. Now, that'll come later, right? In just a couple of chapters later in Mark chapter 8, we have the confession of Peter, you know, where Jesus says, uh, who do people say that I am? They say, well, some, some say that you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say uh, that you're Elijah or one of the other prophets. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ. Right? He says, you are the Son of God. They'll eventually get to that point. Right now, they're not there yet. Right, right now, they're seeing the, the, the challenge before them, and they're thinking, we've got a plan for this. We, we know what we can do. Instead of saying, man, do you have any idea who we're traveling with? Like, this is, this is Jesus. This is the one that John would say, He's the word of God, and he was God. He was with God in the beginning, right? Put that Colossians verse up, Colossians 1, 
uh, starting in 15. Uh, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then in everything he might be preeminent for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's our Jesus, right? We know that because we can look ahead. (laughs) But it's one of these things where I think this is kind of the foundational struggle that, that I certainly have and that we have as humans is kind of reconciling the two things, right? On the one hand, we say uh, that we believe that God made us to be in his image, that through Jesus Christ, who holds all things together, through whom all things were created, that he made us, that he gave us uh, minds to think and to be like him. He gave us the ability to be smart and come up with strategies and things like that. And we recognize that, and then we immediately turn away and say, okay, we've got this now, right? Here's, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. Um, you know, we, we, we look at a situation like the disciples and say, you need to feed, feed 5,000 people? You know, Jesus said, okay, you, you feed them. You do it. And they're like, okay, we need, we need some horses or, so, you know, hook the cart up. We need to get into a village. Uh, we're going to pick up the food and, you know, do whatever. Oh, wait, there's the question of resources. Uh, Jesus, are you expecting us to pay 200 denarii to go and do this? Because we have a plan that we can do, but it's just, you know, we need some resources. Could you give us those resources? Like that that tends to be our uh, mode of operation, right? We're not realizing that Jesus is like, you know, we don't have to do any of that. Like, I made bread. I invented it. I can, I can take a piece of bread, and you, know, you guys don't know this, but I can, t- I can tear it, and we can have more bread. And I can do this and feed everybody. And I can blow your minds if you'll just let me. Right? Why is that a struggle for us? Why, why is it difficult? I mean, I see this, uh, and, and this is kind of the point that I'm getting to. I see this in my own life as I'm in Papua. As I'm walking down and I say, okay, we've reached the point where our language study is done. We've been given the, the green light by our organization to pursue a church planning ministry on a, on a particular island uh, in Indonesia. I think we might have that. Is there a map? Um, we, we've been given the green light uh, to pursue that and to uh, go one more. Is there? There you go. This is, this is an island that we're calling Miobo. Uh, the people group that live on the island number about 2,000, 2,000 plus. And there's also another village on uh, this small uh, island to the right here. So in all, there are probably about 10 villages, uh, 2,000 or so people. And this is a people group that uh, we would consider unreached by any, uh, any standard that we have. And I look at what's ahead and I think, you know what? There's a, there's a long list of things that I want to accomplish in this next year. We're going to return to Indonesia in October. Uh, we've already bought our plane tickets. We're ready to go. Uh, we're ready to get back there. And, and once we hit 
the ground in Papua. We're going to start working through our list, making these things uh, happen. We've got all, uh, you know, we, we have to get established in uh, the island. We have to build a house. By that I mean, like, I have to build a house. Um, we have to figure out how to get, you know, supplies and everything there. We have to find a boat, do all of these things. Um, we, we've got a long list, and yet my struggle is, uh, you know, the, those times when I wake up and I realize, you know, like, I haven't really taken this to the Lord yet. I mean, maybe some, but, but not the way that I, I think I, I would if I really believed that Jesus Christ was the firstborn of all creation, that all things were made through him and for him and hold together in him. I think it's difficult, more difficult for me when I can see kind of the, the road ahead. Like I can kind of, I could come up with a plan. You know, yeah, if, if the Lord just gave me the resources, I think I could do it, right? I think it's easier when uh, the situation seems impossible, Right? Earlier this year, uh, I was sitting in my home in Papua, and I got a phone call from my sister. She said, Jim, uh, I've, I've been diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. The prognosis is not good. I, I hung up the phone after that call, and I just sat there, began to pray. It's like, man, what, what can I even pray? Like, I... I don't know what to do here. You know, oh, Lord, you know, give, give her doctors wisdom, I guess. You know, help, help them find the right treatment, whatever. I, I don't know. There's nothing that I can do. I, I can't even, like, go and help her at the house, mow her lawn or whatever. I'm, I'm in Indonesia. It's, like, literally the farthest distance on the earth away that you could possibly be. There's nothing that I can do. And so my prayers very quickly kind of, you know, dissolve into this, like, Lord, you're God, and you can, you can heal her if you choose. Like, there's nothing that I can do. I can't contribute anything. I'm fully dependent on you. I'm fully looking to you in this thing because you are the only hope that we have. Right? It's, it's easy for me to do that because there's nothing that I can see. There's no way that I can contribute. God is the only one. If my sister is going to be healed of cancer, it has to be the Lord. It has to be him. Church, you may not know this, but my sister has been declared cancer-free. Yeah. The, the praise and glory of God, absolutely. Our dependence on God, and we see, man, he comes through. Comes through. Why is it so much harder for things where the stakes are lower? Why is it harder for me to depend fully on the Lord when... I could conceive of, of a way out. I mean, looking ahead, uh, we think, you know, a, a number of things have to, have to take place before we can really establish uh, ministry in, 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 uh, on Miobo. Sorry. Sometimes I, I say Kurudu. It's, it's all a big confusing thing because we're, we're still trying to figure out how to talk uh, about... <laughs> um, about where we're going and, and what we're doing with uh, our friends here in the States. But, um, you know, w- one of the initial things that we had to do is, uh, is form a team, and so we've been excited to be able to do that. I think we have a team picture. 
This uh, is Jay and Joy Yo and their family. They're good friends of ours. We've known them since uh, we started the training almost eight years ago. Um, we've enjoyed our time in Indonesia together with them, and so they're going to form our team. We also have one other uh, family that potentially will be joining us, and we're not quite sure yet, but we're, we're praying that the Lord would put it, uh, make it really clear to them whether or not uh, that would be the case. And they're currently in a, in a different region of Indonesia, and so they would have to uh, make the move and you know go through some of that. But uh, we've, we formed a team. Uh, we made our first survey trip out to uh, Miobo. And so if you if you'll go back to that map uh, of Miobo real quick, but we made our first survey trip uh, out there. And, and so that involves um, flying by airplane from the capital to the uh, main city in the district, which is a city of about 15,000 people. Uh, not very large, but it, it has a port. It has a small airport. Um, and actually, go go forward too. We have we have a picture of this is the international airport uh, of Surui. Yeah, it's not international. Uh, they have like I don't know, like five flights a week come in. Uh, um, we, we had to fly uh, to that city, and then from there, uh, we had to arrange to get a boat to get out to the island. And and so you know, for us, uh, we had a strategy. Um, we had a plan, right? The uh, um, one of our national coworker friends had made a good suggestion to us that when you get to this big city, um, you go down to the port and you find the market. And when you get into the market, you look and find uh, the, the Penang sellers. What is Penang? Beetle nut. You find the beetle nut sellers. Uh, and, and usually they're older ladies who are selling the beetle nut. And um, you find them and you say, hey, uh, I'm looking for somebody from Kurudu or from Miobo. Could you... Uh, help us, could you point us toward that person? They'll be like, oh yeah, it's that person right there. Okay, so we go over there and we're going to say, uh, hey, we're trying to get out to the island. Could you like call somebody that you know, a cousin or somebody who might be able to, to help us arrange a boat? And then we'll you know, find somebody who knows the way and who can you know, do that. And So th- this was our plan, right? We're going to get there. We arrive, arrive at the airport and we, tell, uh, we, we get in a car and we tell them, okay, first stop, we need to go to the police station so we can just check in. Uh, this is our normal... Uh, normal procedure when we get into a new area we check in at the police station so we can just be up front with them here's who we are here's what we're doing we just want you guys to know um we don't want rumors like going around like, hey did you see the like obvious foreign people um, walking around our village and so um yeah so we're going to go to the police station and then from there we're going to go you know down to the port and we get uh, to the police station and we're explaining to the police chief uh you know who we are what we're doing and he's he's tracking with us and uh, he seems okay with everything, and then we get up, and we're about to leave, and he's like, hold on, uh, go get Hans and tell him to come in here. You know, tells one of his other guys that's there, and so that guy leaves. A couple of minutes later, uh, this guy comes in. This is Hans, and the police chief is like, Hans, you're from Miobo, right? And he's like, yeah, I grew up there. He's like, okay, uh, these guys want to get out there. Why don't you go and arrange a boat for them and, you know. Okay, awesome. <laughs> cool. You know, he's like, is it cool if I go with you guys? I can introduce you to my uncle, who's a big man uh, in the village, and you can stay at his house tonight. We're like, okay. <laughs> Great, let's do that, you know. Um, so our, our trip out there, you know, it was evident to us that the Lord was going before us. You know, and that uh, I think was a good reminder to us also that, like, you know what? Uh, we had a good plan, but... Our plan wasn't really the important part, right? 
It's who we're with. We're, we're traveling with the Lord who he can, he can do whatever he wants. Right? This is the boat that we, uh, that we took to get out uh, to the island. It, it's a fiberglass boat, and they, they built like a wooden kind of a roof to, in case it rains or something like that. Um, it was at times like the calmest, smoothest ride, and then all of a sudden it was like the worst, choppiest ride we've ever been, and we wish that we hadn't been underneath the thing because I hit my head so many times. Um, we started going. You could see uh, um, they, they fired up the big, roaring, uh, twin 40-horsepower outboard tiller steer motors. Go to the next one. Yeah, there they are. Um, so we're, we're flying at like the high speed of like 25 miles an hour or something like that. Um, only one of them died on the way out there. And they managed to get it restarted. It was all cool. Um, it took us about from that main town to get out into uh, the island. It was, it was about two hours and probably 20 minutes uh, or so, around 50 miles. And, and so, um, you know, just part of the uh, issues that we'll be dealing with and having to think through is getting our supplies. We'll have to probably get our supplies on the main uh, town and be able to get them by boat out to the island. But uh, we got out to the island and... Uh, our, our host, the uh, Hans, the police officer, took us to his uncle's house. Um, so here's his, his uncle, and we were able to sit with him and uh, start gathering our language data and our, our cultural data. And we had a whole, uh, you know, massive packets full of things we were trying to figure out to, to try to understand, is this the right place for us? Uh, you know, just want to be wise about how we go. And so we were able to talk to him. We spent the night in his house. Uh, the next morning, he pointed to a young guy in the village and said, hey, take them over to the next village. Uh, so we followed a guy. We went over. Uh, this is the head of uh, one of the other villages. And so in the, um, you can have one village on the south part of the island, and then there's a whole string on the north part. And so we were able to walk from village to village to make our way all the way and meet the heads of the villages, meet the, you know, the various people. Um, this was this guy and his wife and their one kid, and they had a couple other kids who weren't in the picture. Um, we, we stayed and spent two nights in his house. Um, you know, as we're just trying to explore this whole thing and um, also, you know, trying to figure out, is this a place that we would be welcome to come and serve? Um, you know, these, I, I would say that the local people on the island, when we first showed up, everyone just assumed, oh, these guys are tourists. Um, and so they were kind of a little bit standoffish and they were, they were nice and courteous, but like, um, I, don't, I don't know if they just assumed like every white person is from National Geographic or something and we're just trying to, like, sell pictures of them. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was initially kind of like that. But then once they realized, like, we, we all spoke Indonesian uh, and we weren't relying on English at all, then everyone, all of a sudden, like, word was traveling along, like, these guys can speak Indonesian. And so then they wanted to come and hear, like, the funny-looking, uh, you know, guys that spoke Indonesian. And uh, so this was, uh, this, this picture right here, I was sitting with a group of guys and I was, I was trying to do language survey uh, gather language data in which I just had a list of uh, a massive list of words and I'm trying to uh, get them to tell me what the word is in their language um, so I'd give them the Indonesian word and then have them give me um, that and man that was that was quite an experience because we, we had a big group of guys that every word they all wanted to like debate and get into like the exact perfect ro- you know word and like no you don't say it you know it's whatever <laughs> um, and then like I, I would try to repeat it because I'm writing it down and so I'm, I'm writing it down phonetically, and so I would want to read back what I'd written to make sure that, I'm say, you know, that I have it recorded correctly, and then every time I, I said it back, they would all, you know, be like, woo, you know, like, <laughs> like, did you hear that guy? Oh, he sounds just like a meow again, and uh, so just it was all very surreal and very interesting, but 
Um, essentially, though, yeah, like we, we get to the, to the point or we end our trip. Uh, the guys that brought us out there met us on the day that we had appointed to, to pick us up and to go back. Um, we got back into town. We, um, and actually, by the time I got back from that trip, we had like four days left before we were coming here to the States. And so we got back and just packed and, you know, did our, Rachel, bless her heart, had been at, at the house with all of our kids and packing and getting ready and doing all of that. And uh, um, she, she had the, the more difficult uh, task, I think, during that time. Um, but then we, we came here, we started our home assignment. Um, and so that's kind of where we're, where we're at now, right? Now we can look, we can look forward and see, and there's all sorts of things that we need to do, um, as soon as we get back, we'll be trying to gather supplies and, you know, figure out all of that, figure out how to um, build a house. Certain people uh, I already have in mind to, like, walk through uh, construction principles and things like that. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be learning. We're, we're doing all of that. And in the midst of this kind of, uh, you know, this is this is where I am as far as, like the, the spiritual things that Lord is teaching me is um, I'm having to stop and, and every morning just wake up and say, you know what? Like I, I, I have a plan for what we could do. I, I know the general thing. I mean, I can read, uh, you can read books. I can read strategies. We've, you know, we've had training. We can do all of this. We know kind of how we're going to move forward, but um, is that really what we want to do? Right. I mean, the real desire from the beginning is to wake up every day and say, Lord, I mean, you're the one that's capable, right? You're the one who's, who's creative and who's able to accomplish things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I need to ship some wood into the island. You know, maybe the Lord would rather like send lightning to strike a tree and it fall down in the middle of the village and it's in the way. And so they're like, well, we've got to do something with this tree. And so they get out their chainsaws and mill it out and stack it up. And then they're like, hey, did you want this wood? Like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, or, or maybe, you know, more than that, like the, the, the whole point is like, man, I, I don't want to limit what the Lord is desiring to do, you know, for me by only saying like, God, here's my, here's my plan. Did you just give me the resources, right? Here's my plan. Did you just kind of bless uh, that? Like, I, I want to start off from the very beginning and say, Lord, Man, you're the creative one. We're here because you've, you've called us, you've given us a role, uh, not because you need us to be able to accomplish this goal, but because you've, you've given us a role here. It, it may be more for my benefit to, to be able to walk with you and be able to learn about dependence and learn about faith and to do that, but we're, we're here, so we're just ready. You know, if, if there's a, a basket of bread to, to carry off, tell me I'll do it. You know, like, just give us... Um, Give us the faith to say, Lord, we're, we're looking to you first. I mean, that's it's not all that different, I think, from like you guys here in Willow Bend, right? We're in the middle of a pastor search and, you know, trying to, to deal with these questions of like, how, how do we move forward? How do we continue to reach out into our community? How do we continue to, to be a light for the truth among our neighbors and, and, and going on from there? And there are a lot of resources that we can look at. There are a lot of good, sound uh, strategies and sound advice that we can consider as we look to, to go in that direction. But if we're allowing ourselves to do that first and say, you know what, we have a plan. Uh, Lord, just, you know, give us, give us the resources to do it. You know, 
what a tragedy that would be if we followed that plan to completion and never had the opportunity to witness the Lord do something miraculous. Because more important than our administrative ability and our strategic thinking are for uh, we, the body of Christ, to know who it is that we're traveling with. 